the kind of rhythm for our lives of being those that within the fullness of everything that life has to offer, that we have moments throughout our days where we're looking to pause, and in that moment of pausing, seeking to center, center our lives on what we want our life to be centered on. But for us here is to say we want to be centered on God, who is love. And then through centering our lives on God, who is love, we then want to continue on in through our life. And so we're living with these three phrases, pause, center, continue. And what we're discovering is, as we live with that simplicity of pause, center, continue, that it's becoming increasingly an international, global phenomenon. Now, at this point, you're thinking, no, I don't believe you, Adrian. I don't believe that pause, center, continue is becoming a global phenomenon. So I thought just for a moment, we're going to show you a quick video. This is live, not quite live, actually. It's live from last Sunday in Russia, the other mountainside from where the Olympics are in this very day. Uh, and we'll just see what's happening there, so if we can run it. Center, continue. I was quite impressed by the skiing of Richard, to be honest. That's Richard, who's a part of us as a community, Richard and Ali, who are part of us, though living out in Russia, uh, seeking to reveal something of the wonder of who Jesus is, the wonder of what it is to look like, uh, to live a life that's centered around God. And they kind of knew we were in this series, and uh, they contacted me last weekend and said, hey, we've done a video for you of what it looks like for us. And so I thought I'd show you it just so we can start to think that sometimes maybe we think of them right out in the North Caucasus in Russia and think, man, what a hardship. And yet, here we are on a Sunday morning, and that's what they do on a Sunday morning. I thought, well, you know, it's not that hard. Um, but Richard obviously is also a quality skier, so that's our kind of Olympic feel of the pause, center, continue, and international phenomena. Um, but in it, what we've been looking at over the past few weeks is how we live with this rhythm as individuals. How do we live kind of saying, as individuals who've centered our lives on Jesus, how are we going to cause this to shape everything we are? And Gus has kind of taken us on this journey of looking at what it looks like to, to, to see our minds, our thinking, uh, shaped by our centering on God. He then looked last week at just the wonder of what it means to then live a life that's just devoted to God, daily, moment by moment in us centering ourselves on God. And this morning, I want us to change tack slightly and go from where we're centered as individuals. I want to look at what it means for us to be centered together. As actually, we're those that have centered our lives on Jesus, but in centering our lives on Jesus, we've also been centered together in Jesus. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says this about who we are once we've centered our lives on Jesus. He says, now you are the body of Christ, the body of Jesus on earth, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, I know for those of us who weren't here last Sunday, but rather at the other site, which was in Wales with the uh, student and 20s, I know that Rich Bo Pitt did an excellent talk on the Saturday evening. Look at this whole passage. And so I'm not going to repeat what he did. If you didn't get to hear it, I'd say go and quiz some people who did. But in essence, what Paul's doing here is reminding us of the wonder of what it means that we are centered together in Christ. That when we put our faith in Jesus, when we center our lives on Jesus, it doesn't just affect who we are as an individual with Jesus. It actually affects how we then relate to everyone else who centered their lives on Jesus. 
As what Paul says is actually we now become part of Jesus' body on earth throughout the whole world, which means that we then, with every follower of Jesus over the whole of the planet, are now revealing something of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be someone who centered their life on Jesus, but also revealing who Jesus is. Literally, what it looks like for Jesus to be there. That's quite a privilege. But also, what's true globally is also true locally for any and every expression of church life. That actually, when we gather together, actually, we're getting to reveal just the wonder of who Jesus is. Getting to reveal his body to everyone who comes in and around us. That when we gather together, it isn't just this bunch of people kind of loosely connected, but rather that we're deeply connected and connected in a way that causes us to reveal who Jesus is. And what I love about this is it's that all of us are part of it. And Paul uses this illustration of a body because actually our bodies are complex. Our bodies are made up of just loads and loads of different parts. We haven't got time to look at the passage, but Paul kind of says, man, what would it look like if your body was just an ear? That'd be just weird. You just saw someone walking around, they're just an ear. You think, that's odd. Now, our body's made up of all these different parts. And Paul wants us to understand the beauty of Jesus' body on earth. The beauty of what the church is in revealing Jesus' body is it's made up of loads of different parts. The fact that you and I are different is the beauty of it. That actually... Each and every one of us being built together because of our uniqueness, because of who we are uniquely. What we do uniquely reveals the wonder of who Jesus is. And there's a way that Jesus revealed uniquely when we gather together that is unlike any other time. I often sit back and look around the room and think, man, there is no way on earth that this bunch of people would ever gather like this in any other setting apart from because of Jesus. And what I want us to do this morning is kind of look and firstly pause for a moment and say as we're centered, as individuals on Jesus, we're centered together. And therefore, if you have started to cause this to be the place where you want to call home, this is to be your church, this is a place where you fit. And for some of us, we just need to hear that this morning. You may feel like you're different, but that's good. Because actually, in your difference, it means that you get to reveal something more of who we are as the body of Jesus. We're all different, made up differently, unique gifts. And we get to reveal the wonder of who Jesus is as we play our part in being different amongst one another. So we fit. The second thing I want us to do is build from this point. It's saying, actually, as we gather together, understanding that we're centered on Jesus, that in us... Together, we therefore are shaped by what we do and what, what we reveal. And I want us to look at this morning kind of how we're shaped in our worship of God. How that when we come together, there's a want to center on Him and celebrate in Him. And as we do that, what we reveal is a symphony. A symphony is this piece of music that's designed to cause an orchestra of different instruments to play harmoniously together a beautiful sound. That's the point of a symphony. That the beauty of the sound that's produced is in the fact that everything in the orchestra is different. 
And that when we come together to center and celebrate on who God is, that's what God wants to do in and through us. He wants to reveal a harmonious sound that reveals something of the wonder of who he is. And to help us do this, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. And Leah is just going to read it to us, and then we're going to pick up from there. So let's just welcome Leah. Desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Tongues, then, are a sign for the believer, and not for the believer, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Thank you, Leah. Okay, what we've got here is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And in it, he's kind of detailing what it looks like when the church gathers together. 
And when the church gathers together, what it looks like when they then begin to worship God, seeking to center and celebrate on him. And, and in him kind of revealing it, he's kind of picking up this whole thing that I'm going to do under the symphony. And saying that actually when they gather together, there's going to be a clarity of sound that comes out. And in it, he's going to detail something of what it looks like. So we're going to look at some of the nuts and bolts this morning of what it looks like when they gather together. So there's an expectation that will be, if we go back one slide, um, there'll be an expectation, there'll be uh, just these moments of, of instruction, of revelation, a tongue and interpretation, songs or hymns. And in it, there'll be an expectation. Whenever we're gathering together, this stuff is going to happen. This morning, when we were during our time of worship, this stuff happened. We may not have stood up and said, this is a hymn. This is a word of instruction. But these things happen. So we had the moments where we were singing songs corporately together. Songs that have been chosen by an individual, Pete, who's saying, actually, maybe this would encourage us in our worship of God. We then had moments where prayers were prayed out. Prayers that were revealing something about who God is. We then had moments where suddenly Mike stood up and said, actually, I just want to share something with us. And kind of brings this word of instruction, a pause moment that kind of draws us into something of who God is. And Paul wants us to understand some of the makeup of the symphony that's revealed as we gather together. And and in it, we're going to zoom in, actually, on what Paul zooms in on, of prophecy and tongues. And why we're going to do that is because, actually, there's something that's revealed through the sound of the symphony. Something that's revealed that actually does all of us good. Every person good who's in the room. Paul wants us to understand that. Both the believer, in the version we've got there, the inquirer. In other words, those who've not yet centered their life on Jesus, but are being drawn to Jesus, can see something about him, but have still got questions. But also the unbeliever, one who's just come around us and saying, well, I kind of don't quite see how this all fits, but I'm intrigued. And Paul says, whenever... This group of people, and if you're in any of those camps, it's so right you're in the room. Actually, whenever we come together, there'll be a drawing in that it would do us good. It would do us good as we get to hear the sound. Hear the sound of what it is of who we are and who we reveal, that we realize that through all of this, what we are is a community of love that is supernatural, or to spin it the other way. A supernatural community that's founded on love. And it has to be those two things, because actually what we're doing whenever we come together and we center and we celebrate in who this God is, we're actually in that moment revealing who God is, that God is love and God's supernatural. Therefore, whatever goes on in our celebration of him is surely going to be those two things. We can't shy away from the fact, see if it's a bias over one or the other. If it's literally just this community and we just become this bunch of people who just really love each other. And people come along and say, actually, these guys seem to really love each other. But actually, I could go to a lot of other places where people seem to love each other. Or if we went the other side and said, actually, we're going to just be supernatural. We're going to expect everything supernatural around us. We're going to shake, we're going to quake, we're going to hear things from the mysteries of the skies. Well, things will happen and we'll think, what's going on there? People might come along and say, wow, that's, that's pretty spooky. It's pretty amazing. But if there isn't any love there, say, but... What's the point of it? It doesn't seem to bring any change. In actual fact, it just seems like it's a bunch of people who gather in a room, have these shaky moments, and then leave not actually any more connected with each other or making a difference to anyone else. Actually, it has to be both that's revealed. We're not just any old bunch of people. We're the body of Jesus when we gather. Therefore, it will be supernatural. And it will be love. 
Because he is supernatural and he is love. Because the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit is supernatural and is love. That's the sound of the symphony. But Paul wants us to understand, for us to get to the symphony, to zoom in, and we are going to look at prophecy and tongues, but actually there's some building blocks along the way of the symphony we reveal, the symphony we build together as a community. And the first one's this, it's not a symphony of symbols. At the beginning of the passage, verse 1, Paul writes this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Paul says the first building block of the symphony we get to create together is to understand it's not a symphony of the symbols. I mean, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, follow the way of love. See, 1 Corinthians 14 amazingly follows 1 Corinthians 13. Groundbreaking. If you're not a regular here, you're going to realize how groundbreaking I can be. See, in this moment, when Paul writes, follow the way of love, what he's doing is he's saying, remember what I've just said? That when you come together, you need to remember that. What did Paul just say? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. It says this, if I speak in the tongues, and when we're going to see that word tongues actually could be interpreted languages or tongues. So we can intersperse, or we can keep swapping. It's languages. Languages of this earth. Languages of God's realm. So if I speak in tongues, languages of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Paul's saying that this could be like the most earth-shaking experience you could have a have. You can have moments where people seem to be speaking spontaneously in languages they never knew. And we go up to them often and say, how did you know that? And they say, I don't know. God just gave me this thing and I started speaking this different language. We can have moments where people seem to speak and reveal things that are beyond our understanding. Moments where people share stories and they say, and then this happened and I saw a mountain physically move. That's amazing. And Paul says you could see all of that. And if you're not founded on love, it's just a clashing (laughs) symbol. The deal with symbols is this. They're noisy. (laughs) (laughs) Leah's amazed. Right. Noisy. So let's do a symphony of symbols, shall we? Symphony, first movement, usually lasts for about nine minutes, ten seconds. I reckon if I was to continue to three minutes, most of us would have left the room or made a run and jump at me to stop me doing this. The point is this, that when we gather together, it's not a symbol moment. It's a love moment. It isn't a moment where we suddenly think, hey, this is all about me. We're together because it's all about me. It's an individualism moment. It's where I get to say, actually, God, I've come to be with you, and I want you to come and be with me now. Who cares about everyone else? It's just me and you. 
It's also not a moment where we get to say, hey, listen to me. I've got something to share. Because that's what it does. I'm going to cause Joe to have a massive headache on PA this morning. I'm sorry, Joe. But it isn't a moment where we say, look at me, look at me. I'm going to, I want to show you what I can do. I mean, I've got a prayer I could pray. I've got a prophecy I could give. I've got a reading from the Bible. I've read this last week and I want to share it with everyone. Because look at me. I won't do it again. I'll do the sound effects instead. So isn't it a moment for individuals? Isn't it a moment to show off? It's also not a moment where we kind of drudge through the car park. <laughs> do you know the walk of shame from the cricket ground car park around the corner and those orange signs that keep teasing us saying, you're nearly there, and you think, no, I'm not. <laughs> and you get to the first and you think, oh, why am I coming here? Oh, yeah, it's Oasis. What are we going to do? Oh, yeah, we're going to worship God. Oh, better get game face on. Better look ready to worship Actually, I better, I wonder if I should pray out today. Yeah, I should probably pray. Or maybe, God, if you've something you want to say to someone, or is there something you want to say to all of us? And we find ourselves dredging through the walk of shame to the mostly sweet, in order that we feel that sense of duty. Oh, we're here. I better say something. Paul says, duty, showing off, and individualism are a symphony of symbols. They're just a noise. And that isn't what we're about when we gather together. What we're about is we're a moment where we live out and we're founded from that place of love, of understanding that we centered our life on God who is love, whose love to us is characterized as unconditional and forever giving, something that we celebrate already within our worship. And therefore, when we come together, rather than thinking about me, I'm thinking about us, now, in that, for some of us, I want us to hear that the moment of us, for some of us, because of everything that's going on in life, is the fact that we've actually come. For some of us, life is tough at the moment. It won't be for many of us, it'd be just for a minority of us. And the fact that we've actually just come this morning is us saying, do you know what? I'm founded on love, and I realize that who we are together involves me. And so I've arrived not just for me, I've arrived for us. And we sit, and we think, man... That's all I could do, and that's enough. So rather than it being about me, it's about us. Rather than it being a moment of feedback distortion, I won't do it, Joe, um, of showing off, it's rather a, a moment we say, how can I serve everyone else? How is, as we gather together to celebrate in who God is, what am I gonna bring that's gonna serve everyone else? In that moment, what is it I'm going to bring that isn't out of duty, but rather as a response to his love of saying, man, I've gained so much. What can I do? Because I really want to bring something to benefit everyone else. So Paul says, first building block is we're not creating a symphony of symbols. We're founded on love. Second building block is the triangle. The triangle for me is my favorite instrument. One is because... I can play it. (laughs) Two is because of its simplicity, in that you just tap it, and you can just hear it just cuts through everything else. And what I love about it, because it's distorting through this microphone stand, that what you get is it cuts through 
every other instrument. There's just the simplicity of a piece of metal made into a triangle shape. It just has this sound that can cut through everything. I love it. See, the thing is, I did a little experiment. So all I did is I stuck it next to Sol's drum kit, because I knew Sol was a bit too cool for triangles. But I thought, I wonder what happened if I put it there. And sure enough, even though he's too cool for school, he was playing the triangle. As soon as he walked there, he had a little tap of it. Others then pulled it forward. Sol's never going to speak to me ever again. Others then pulled it forward and couldn't help but have a little bit of a tap. I reckon after this morning... Many of us are going to gather and say, can I have a little tap? I quite like the triangle. You see, the triangle does something. Does something in terms of a building block of the symphony that we need to build, that we need to get to understand. And what it does is it cuts through everything else and reminds us what the whole thing is about. That's what Paul says. He says this in verse 12. He says, So it is with the triangle. No, it isn't. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. The point's this. When we gather together, in all that we're seeking to give and bring as we center ourselves on God and celebrating who God is, ensuring it isn't a symbol moment, that actually remember the triangle. We say actually in everything we're doing, what we want to cut through everything is this want to build up everyone who's there. I want to do everyone good who's present. Whether they know Jesus or not, that everyone, through what happens as we gather together and celebrate in who he is, center in on who he is, that they know that it does them good. So Paul says, right, from this basis then, two building blocks of the symphony, out of love, Seeking to build, we then get to the symphony. Let's remind ourselves of the beauty of the symphony. Just for 20, 30 seconds. Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 1. you whenever I hear it I always want to start conducting maybe it's just me as a personality but but the other thing I find with a symphony and this is probably my favorite one is that it just causes me to pause it just draws me in and that's what's going to happen as we gather together that what we see in the music Actually, we now get to reveal when we gather together and centering and celebrating who God is. And Paul wants us to understand that out of understanding that it's out of love, that it's with this understanding of this clarity through it all that it's seeking to do us good and build, that actually there's these different instruments that we get to hear in the symphony. And the two, as I said, I want us to zoom in on today are those of prophecy and tongues. See, Paul says this about prophecy. Verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy is that word that describes God speaking to someone for others to build them up. That's what prophecy is, simply put. It's 
God speaking to people for people to build them up. And what Paul says is, when it happens, within the symphony, there's going to be these different instruments that kick in that reveal something of what prophecy is seeking to do. And so first of all, we find that prophecy seeks to strengthen. And I like to think of that in the gathering, that it's when the brass and wind kick in within the symphony. It's what brings the breadth and depth of the piece of music. You see, when the brass and wind kind of fill, they, they do, literally do that, they fill the sound of the symphony. And that's what sometimes prophecy does. We find that it comes and it brings depth and breadth, reminding us of who God is and who we are in light of him. There'll be moments where someone will share something which will remind us of just the magnitude of who God is. Sometimes it can be through the songs we sing. Just reminded that God isn't this God that we've boxed up and packaged and said, oh yeah, there's God, he's like, he's like this. I said, oh no, God's like this. And we get these moments where someone shares something and it reminds us of who God is. The breadth, the depth, the height, the width, the, the dimensions of who he is. And therefore who we are in light of him. Paul says the symphony isn't just strengthening. There's also moments where prophecy is given that encourage us. And that encouragement is, the word used there is, is literally drawing alongside and pushing forward. I like to think of this in terms of the symphonies, where we've got the brass and wind section bringing the depth and breadth of strengthening. We have these prophecies that come, like encouragement, that draw alongside and push us forward, like the percussion section, that allow us to know that we're being pushed forward, that drive the piece of music, that keep us in time, that keep us in pace. We find that there's these encouragements that come from God that remind us that we're a people of purpose. So you can suddenly have someone share something that reminds us that we're here for a reason. I don't know if you hear it, and sometimes we need to be careful, and we'll make some notes at the end, that sometimes we can think, actually, God's only speaking if someone starts it off with, I think God might be saying. Actually, if you keep your ears open, you'll hear God speaking all the time. So you hear that prayer that Dave prayed. In the beginning, you see, hear the first prayer. Actually, we could do, should we unwrap the whole thing? So we have Jane, first off. She prays out, she says, do you know what, there's never a no with Jesus, it's always yes. Moment. Of just remembering, just the strengthening of who Jesus is. This is the breath. Jesus isn't one who's going to say no. He's someone who says yes. You then have Dave on the back of it saying, and do you know what, Jesus? Because of who you are, I know that you've caused us to be where we're meant to be. I'm not just where I'm doing, doing my job, living my life for the sake of it. I'm there because you've placed me there. Suddenly I'm remembered that there's purpose in my being. So if these moments that come that are for encouraging, to build us up, to push us forward, that are reminding us of our purpose, our destiny, there'll be moments where suddenly someone shares something and says, hey, do you know what? The world's not always going to be like this. It reminds us of the, the, the big scale picture, that we're part of the bigger story, that one day God's going to restore everything. And we're not on a, in a waiting room waiting to evacuate to heaven, wherever that might be, but rather we're here waiting one day where Jesus is going to come and restore everything. And we get to live here forever in a place where God is always intended to be, that's filled with his glory. It's a place that's filled literally with his love and beauty, where everything is, men, is, is as it should be. So we find that prophecy comes in the symphony. It's, it's the wind and brass who's strengthening. 
It's the percussion through encouragement. And lastly, it's the comfort. That comfort is the word used there, is that it's to tenderly draw alongside. I always think this one's the strings. But when you get the string section come involved in the symphony, it kind of draws you in. It seems to connect with the very kind of workings of who we are as an individual. It seems to connect with our emotions. That there are moments where God will speak through people in order that he can tenderly draw alongside us. To be like the string section, to remind us that he understands, that he knows us, and he is with us. Those moments will happen. That someone will share something and just say, do you know what? God knows you. And God is with you. So as the symphony builds, there'll be these moments that remind us of this. Even during the kind of notice slot, there are people sharing things, saying, actually, there's, there's this thing that I, I felt like I wondered whether God wanted to say, and it didn't seem to fit with where we'd got to in worship, but I just felt like God wanted to, people to know this. And so you get someone who says, you know what, there's some people here who maybe feel like they're just falling down a chasm. And it, it just feels like there's not a way out. And God wants you to know that he knows where you are and he can rescue you. That's a, that's a word of comfort. Someone else saying, do you know what, there seems to be that someone's got a real heart for Asia and they really want to get to Asia, but whatever doors they push, it just feels like it doesn't ever open. And God wants you to know that your heart is right. You're meant to be going to Asia, but he's going to open a different door. So I then get the privilege of sharing these. And what it does is it suddenly remembers us that God is wanting to encourage us. See, here's a couple of practical things in terms of prophecy. First one's this. We prophesy in part. In other words, that we're not the same as the Old Testament, the time we're living in now, post-Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So when we share things that we believe God is wanting to say, it's mixed up with our personality, is that we share in part. In the Old Testament, it was people who spoke and said, I'm now telling you what God is saying, as though God is saying it. And so what happened is quite dramatic effects. And so what you found is if what they shared was seen as right and it kind of revealed something of God and actually what they then did and saw and said, actually, what you said has come about. People said, oh, yeah, you, that was definitely God speaking. However, if it wasn't that, there was quite severe implications because basically what they were doing is they were using a role and saying, actually, I'm going to twist this and get these people to do what I want them to do. And therefore, what happened is people were judged a bit more severely. So if it was judged that actually this wasn't God, you got stoned and you were killed. Now, fortunately, I think we don't live in that time. We rather live in a moment where actually we prophesy in part. And therefore, when we get to share something we believe God wants to say to build others up, we get to share it knowing that it's mixed up with our personality. That we're going to prophesy in part. We're only going to share something of what God might want to say. And therefore, we don't get judged as harshly. The other thing to say is that we would find later on 1 Corinthians 14 that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, that when we feel like we've got something that God wants to say, it isn't that we're going to combust if we don't say it. Actually, God says it's 
it's up to us whether we share it or not. God's bigger than us. In actual fact, if we never share what God says to us, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to miss out. God, believe it or not, will still share stuff to other people and will still get heard through others. It's not down to us. Which brings us on to the thing of what happens when we're in a public gathering. See, the deal is, we can't spend the whole day just saying, I've got this thing that I feel God's got to say, and just saying it. Because there's a whole load of us in one room, it therefore means because of the climate we live in, the environment, the culture we live in, there's a set amount of time that we have, and we just have to utilise it. And therefore, that means that sometimes we get to share and sometimes we don't. And part of our role then is to work out, is this a moment to speak up or is it a moment to be quiet? And can I put it this other way? For some of us, we need to know moments more where we need to be quiet. For others of us, we need to know moments where we can speak up. For some of you, you've never spoken. We need to hear you. For some of us, I conclude myself. We speak too much and we need to be quiet. Because part of the symphony we need to hear is through all of us getting to play our part. Prophecy, second one. We're going to really motor now. Are you ready? Tongues. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. This one is probably the one that can make us sound really cookie. The one in terms of prophecy, you think, well, hearing God to encourage others or to build others up or to bring comfort or to strengthen. Yeah, I can see that. That seems okay. Still hearing God. Mm. Tongues, that just sounds a bit weird. As I said, what we're using here is a word that we can actually interpret both ways, tongues or languages. What we're finding here is that Paul wants us to understand that he isn't anti-tongues, anti-languages being given to people, as we'd find if we later read on in 1 Corinthians 14. He's actually seeing it as something that can do us good. However, he wants us to understand that languages that are supernaturally given by God to an individual are given for a reason. First of all, he says they're given to help and build us up, to edify us as an individual in the private place. Paul says, I wish that all of you would speak in different languages. Why? Because it would do you good. That Paul wants us in the private place between us and God to be having this gift that allows us to speak in other languages. Now, it's not in other languages to order bread or, or buy milk or say, bonjour, je m'appelle Adrian. It isn't that. It's rather other languages that allow us to declare praise to God. Allow us to utter the very core of our being, what we want to say to God. So Paul says there's moments privately where you get to do this. Now what you need to do is not do in private what... It's not doing public what you do in private. Because if we come and we gather together and say, oh no, let's all just sing in tongues, or let's all just speak in tongues like we would privately, what that becomes is a symbol moment, doesn't it? Because suddenly that's just about me and God. Let's not worry about everyone else, it's just me and God. No, no, that's what we enjoy privately. Publicly, we're together. And if we want to do things that are going to build one another up, we're going to do it out of love. Because it's about us, it's not about me. So then does tongues have a place when we gather together? Well, yeah. See, what tongues does, and Paul's pretty clear, is that there will be moments where a language is given that will then be interpreted. That someone will speak out in a language and they'll then interpret what's just been said. And when they interpret, we're told that it will be towards God, the interpretation in English, because that's the language that would be most known in this room. And that language will then declare in English praise of God, something of the wonder of who God is, 
So it's going to be to God declaring something about him and praising him. And what Paul says is, we should expect that. Now, if you're anything like me, you think, well, why do you need to do that then? <laughs> why kind of do the weird bit in terms of someone speaking out in a language where you think, uh-oh, what about someone who's never heard this? Are they going to at this point think, what is going on? These are crazy people, because Paul talks about that. Why don't we just skip to the bit where we just hear in English what's being spoken? Well, because it's actually part of the building of the symphony. See, what happens in that moment where someone speaks in tongues and then we wait for the interpretation? It's like in a piece of symphony where the sound changes. It might crescendo, so get louder. It might do the opposite, which is a word I can never remember from my grade five theory. It goes quieter. What is it? Decrescendo. <laughs> I should have remembered that, shouldn't I? I just scraped through my grade five theory. Um, the decrescendo. The what tongues does is it does that. Because what happens when you change the sound of the symphony is it draws you in. If it gets quieter, you kind of are stirred in. If it gets louder, you think, whoa, what's going on here? And tongues does that. It's suddenly in that moment, if someone speaks a language and we think, whoa, what's going on here? We remember, this isn't just a bunch of people looking at screens, singing songs. Actually, this is a bunch of people who are connected and centered around Jesus who's supernatural. And suddenly remember that there's this moment that's happened that's supernatural, is beyond our understanding, has been distributed a gift that no one in this room could have made up. And we suddenly realize that this is drawing us in and reminding us that we're not centered on a screen, we're centered on Jesus. As we center on him, we suddenly start to think, God, what, what was being said there? And then you find that someone then interprets it and says, oh, this is what was being prayed. And it draws us in. And what happens at that same point is you find that everyone's ears open to what God might want to say. And suddenly we go from just singing songs at a screen to singing songs to a God and opening ourselves to God and saying, God, is, you're here, aren't you? What is it you'd want to say to us? And not surprisingly, after you find a tongue's given, you often find that many, many prophecies happen. Because God's wanting to speak. It's just whether we're listening. And in those moments, it just centers us. It says, it's here. See, when we build the symphony, it's meant to draw others in. This is just to finish off with. Paul says this, so verse 25, talking about those who inquire us. In other words, they're getting, understanding something more of who Jesus is and wanting to center more of their life on him. Of unbelievers who are kind of intrigued, wondering kind of, Right, I can see maybe there's a God, but wondering what is it like. As they're around who we are, centered on Jesus, building the symphony, Paul says this, we do it so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Let's never pretend to be something we're not. Let's never try and package who we are so it feels more palatable to others. The point is when people come around us, We'll explain it. We'll ensure that things can be understood. But we won't hide the fact that what we are doing as we come and we sense and we celebrate in him is we're revealing a God who's love and revealing a God who's supernatural. And our greatest desire is that everyone who'd come around us would get to a point not sitting on the fence thinking, they're nice and leaving, but rather would say, maybe God is among them. And if God is then what does that mean for me? And so for you, if you're here and you say, man, I, 
I'm just on this journey. Maybe you're an inquirer. You've just got to that point of saying, I can see who Jesus is, and I've not yet said I want to center my life around him, but I'm being drawn. Maybe you've come this morning and you say, well, I'd be more of the unbelieving camp. That I'd say, I'm not quite sure who Jesus is yet, but I can see there's something. For you guys, this is the best place you could ever be. And my invitation is, come and draw and join in the symphony. The point isn't that you kind of get to stand at the side and say, oh, that sounds good. Maybe God's there. It's rather that you get drawn in and you get to know this God who is supernatural and who is love for you as an individual in order that you can get it added in to who we are together in order that together we can continue to build this symphony. So we finish off with this. For some of us, as we build this symphony together, will you come and join? For many of us, will you come and play your part? Let's stand. God, I thank you for all you've been doing this morning. And God, I I pray, would you continue to work in and through us as a community? I thank you that what we're looking at today isn't just a marker in the ground for this Sunday. It's to shape who we are from Sunday to Sunday. And I pray for each and every one of us. I pray for those of us who need to know that we fit. I pray, Jesus, would you come and bring greater release to know that we're part and that we're greater together through each of us playing our part and being who we are. I pray for those of us who are just being drawn into this symphony. I pray, Jesus, would you keep drawing us? And I pray for those of us who know we're part of it. I pray, would you cause us to live with a greater release in understanding this isn't about others. It's about us playing our part. And I pray, God, would you increase the prophetic amongst us? I pray for some of us, we'd stop being silent and start to speak out. I pray, would you increase tongues? I want to pray for release of tongues, even now in this room of languages that are not our own, that are going to do us good in the private places we speak to you. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you well up from within us in order that we see more of this. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, what we're going to do is, if you've got children, if you go and get them, uh, then you can bring them back and you can bring them forward to get prayed for with you. But if you've not got children and you'd love to be prayed for about anything from this morning, please do come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, tea and coffee be served at the back. Uh, if you'd like to hang out and for lunch and get to hear more about uh, how to be part of the prayer team, you're more than welcome.